let's go back to Matthew 4 and take a look at some of these lessons. We'll look at the overall plan again, and then we'll come back to Let me just briefly summarize after we read a little bit of what we talked about this morning, and then we'll look at these four lessons. Parallel, uh, or I'm sorry, not parallel lessons, but the other things outside of what we looked at this morning. Verse 1 of Matthew 4. Then was Jesus led up the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these, that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle in the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came, ministered to him. So as I said this morning, I think that the overall, the main meaning, primary, boil it all down uh, of this passage is that we see the faithfulness of Christ uh, in, in testing. He is tested as the Messiah and as the, as the new Israel, if we go back uh, to two, I think two chapters ago when we looked at Jesus as the, as the new Israel, the, uh, the, the better Israel, uh, he has proven here this 40 days in the wilderness the uh, lack and the need, uh, and yet he comes through uh, with, with uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant. And Israel, when Israel failed, uh, Paul calls Jesus the second Adam, where Adam failed. Uh, and so we see some, and we see many uh, similarities between the two. But there are things for us to gather from here. I don't think that the only reason the temptation of Christ uh, occurred was so that we could figure out how we're supposed to handle Satan's temptations, uh, because Jesus has a, a very slight advantage, not slight, very huge advantage when it comes to fighting the devil, and, and uh, when, it, when we fight the devil as compared to when he fights the devil, he is God, we are not, and so uh, there's, there's uh, I think it's in here somewhere uh, that, uh, is it in here? I couldn't remember if I put it in here tonight or for this morning, but uh, it is there, uh, and you know, so I won't, I won't uh, steal my own thunder, but uh, number three, they're quoting scripture. It doesn't scare Satan. It's not, uh, it's not a, it's, I've heard a lot of things about how we combat Satan's uh, attacks on us and, and uh, some, some thoughts, and my, at least my thoughts on that and, and what I see from this. Let's go, uh, let's look at the first one here if you're following. Um, I hope that the, everything's in the right order. I was told that sometimes they're not, and I think that they are this time, but, um, uh, if I'm not, then I'll just get in trouble again. The first uh, other, the first lesson for us. So all four of these lessons are for us now. So we we see that the scripture is not necessarily for me. It's, I don't view scripture primarily as a how-to book. I don't see scripture as every bit in here is for me to live a better life right here. This is the it tells the story of Jesus. But through that, I do find things that help me in my life right now. And so the first thing here of these four is a reminder that difficulties are part of the plan. Difficulties are part of the plan. Normally, in life, we don't like pain, right? 
if someone likes pain, they we, we view them as an abnormal, right? That's not a normal thing to, to like pain. And when we experience pain or when we experience difficulty, we try to get out of it as soon as we can. We try to at least avoid having pain, right? We take the road less traveled. We, uh, when, uh, when we, when we feel, uh, something beginning to become uncomfortable, most of us don't say, ooh, this is gonna be uncomfortable. I think I'll stick around. Most of us say, no, I don't wanna try that. I don't wanna go that far. I wanna figure out how to get out of that as soon as I can. And, uh, this is, this is kinda how we, we, as, as Christians as a whole, we take the Christian life. I want the easy path. I want the path with lo- with no pain. I want the path without suffering. Uh, Grant Osborne here uh, wrote a statement in one of the commentaries I use. It says, The heroes of the faith go through testing throughout the Bible, and through it they learn the dependence on God that is necessary for triumphant ministry. He said in a later place, he says, We need to look at our trials as a means of growing in faith. That's 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 really the the... the the way, the perspective that we need to try to have when it comes to our trials is, yeah, this is uncomfortable. and No, I don't like this, but there's something here. God put this in my life for a reason, or at the very least, God let this be in my life. God could have taken it away, but there's pain there. Don't you think that, you know, day 30, Jesus uh, fasting, he was ready to eat something? And and I don't know if 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 he had delusions of cheeseburgers and and or kosher thing, you know, kosher foods that, that uh, popped up in his mind and thinking about, oh, that would be great to have this right now. Uh, isn't it, if you ever tried to fast, I'm not gonna, well, I'm not teaching on fasting or anything, but if you've ever tried to fast, that's usually a great way to get invited over to somebody's house for dinner. Fast, you know, and, and you don't tell them that, but as soon as you decide to, someone's like, hey, we're having ice cream Sundays at the church. Why don't you come over? <sighs> you know, I, 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 or you say, Lord, <laughs> just this once, you know. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a, uh, there's a, I don't even know where I was going with that. But uh, we, we look at these trials, these testing, these difficulties that come into our life, and we think, ah, this is, this is not how it should be. It should be good. It should be happy. It should be fun and easy. But yet, there are reasons why the, the, the difficulties come. Jesus needed to spend 40 days. I don't think it was a coincidence that Satan showed up 40 days after. I think that was, that was a planned thing. It was a 40 days of, of being weakened down, if you will, uh, for Christ, and then Satan comes in to tempt him. Not day one when he's, I just had a meal. Uh, it's hard to tempt someone with food when they just had their full belly. But when you haven't had a food, food for 40 days, and then all of a sudden there's that temptation, it's a little harder to deal with. And so uh, all of all of this uh, that we see that Jesus goes through uh, does teach us that difficulty is part of the plan. That's partly how God grows us. That's partly what God uses to to at least point us to Him. That's what we looked at in the passages this morning in Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, God let them go hungry. And God let them go thirsty for a time so that they would turn to Him and say, what do we do now? Uh, my, I was talking to my mother on the phone this afternoon and, and she said something about, uh, uh, you know, my sons don't come and ask me what I should, what they should do anymore. They just they, they do what they want. They don't ask me. I said, well, isn't that how it's supposed to be? I mean, do you want your grown sons uh, coming to mom and, and saying, Mommy, you know, you do this for me? Uh, and she says, well, well, yeah, but I just, I, I miss my kids, you know. But the fact is that that's, that's how it works. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I, I need to have a dependency when it comes to God. 
I don't need to be independent when it comes to my spiritual growth and say, well, God, I, I'm fine with, with, with my choices. I'm, you, don't, I, you don't need to help me on here. I got it. Remember when we were little and, and mom and dad put us on their lap in the car and let us pretend to drive the car? And as soon as you thought you were doing a good job, you, you told dad, let go. And if dad was brave enough, he might have let go for a few seconds. And as soon as that happened, this is how we drive, right? Unless we have in, no, uh, we've begun to learn. But we begin to uh, think that, oh, I can do this. And yet, we, when we're put, you know, when, it's, when that is put in front of us, we realize that we can't. Well, a lot of times, the, the difficulties that we go through are just there simply to show us, you can't do this. I mean, that's what the whole law was for, to show us, you can't keep this. Ever wonder why there were so many rules? Well, I think partly because if, if there was three, it would be, okay, well, I can, I can do that. But if there was, there's, there's hundreds of laws and rules, and, and they're so difficult uh, to keep perfectly from birth uh, to death, uh, I can't do it. And, and there's difficulties that are placed in our lives for those very reasons. Craig Keener said this, Disciples are destined for testing, but Jesus, their forerunner, has gone before them and shown them how to overcome. We have that example of Christ here where we can look and say, well, Jesus went through these things. He was uh, tested in all points uh, as we are, yet without sin. And that doesn't mean that every time I'm going to pass a test, I, I, will, you know, I will not sin. But it does tell me that one did it, and I look to him, and, and even my, my failing reminds me, Jesus, you, you're, that, you're that good that you didn't fail no matter what. So I have I have a couple of questions here. Well, instead of waiting to the end to do them, we'll just kind of go through. So I just get it, get your thoughts here as we as we go through this and think on this first part. The difficulties are part of the plan. First question here is what is our natural reaction to testing and difficulties? If you want to kind of embellish what I said there, obviously I said it's to avoid it. But if you want to embellish that or explain a little bit why. Why do you think uh, maybe in your own life or what you've seen, what is the natural reaction to testing with difficulties. I'm going to run away from it. Here? Yeah, we don't, it's afraid. I've, I've never done it before. And it's scary. Yep. Why do you think we have these reactions to difficulties? Unknown. Do you remember the first day at your job? How scared you were? I don't know if I could do this. And, th- and then now you're looking at like, I, I do this in my sleep. What's the difference? The unknown is now known. And you know, oh, I can do that. That's, that's a lot easier than I thought. Uh, we went to, you know, we went to a theme park. Uh, and it was at Disney World, that's what it was. And we went just a regular theme park. But uh, we went to Disney World and uh, we were on this roller coaster. And uh, I won't tell you which one it was because I don't want to embarrass Riley, but uh, we were, we, I had one of my sons and and uh, it was, it was, there was a roller coaster, and he was, he, I want to do this, I want to do this, let's do it, let's do it. Short of, I'm going to make you have fun here, uh, eventually he got on, and halfway through it, he's like, oh, this is the best thing. But the fear of the unknown is difficult, because I don't want to die, or whatever it may be. Uh, we don't like that. What else? What other reasons might you think that we shy away from difficulties and, and tests? Yep, yeah, I already know that. I don't need to be tested by that. And then what usually we, we find out. You don't know as much as you know as you thought you knew. There's a whole lot more out there than what we realize. For me, sometimes I don't want to be tested because I don't want to fail. I don't want to take the test because I don't want to fail at that test. I want to only do things that I know I will succeed at. 
first time. So we shun away because we lose control. I don't have, I don't get the control. Now think about Jesus' trial for a minute. He had control, right? He could have made bread. He could have cast himself off, and, and, and he's God. He doesn't even need the angels to catch him. He would just, you know, float, fly if he wanted to. All these things, he did, but yet he he didn't. When we're tested, we we're out of control. When, when Satan tests us, or when God does things in our lives, uh, yeah, we. I don't like that. I'm scared. I might fail. I'm, I'm not in control. I don't get to make this. And honestly, I just I don't like being uncomfortable, right? I, I have a comfy chair in my house, and that's where I want to sit. I don't want to sit in a hard kitchen chair. I want to sit in a comfy chair. I, I want my bed, right? All of us have nice beds. We don't sleep on a, 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 a pallet of wood and a you know, nail, bed of nails and things like that. We want to be comfortable. We like being comfortable. We don't like pain. And, and when we see that in our spiritual life, though, we need to be aware of the fact at least that God is going to grow me through this, or God is going to show me through this how great He is. Look at the second part of the, uh, the second question there. And this, uh, I was thinking about this as we pray. How do we pray during these times? Or how should we pray? And I think there's, there might be a difference for some of us. But how do we pray, or how do some people pray during these times? Versus how do how should we pray during this time, right? Let's be honest. Let's, let's have a, a true confession this time. How many of you, raise your hand, if you've ever prayed that God would take something away that you just didn't like going on in your life, right? And did it happen? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Why? Because God says, huh, you need that. You need this right now. And I often, I think sometimes I... I it would be very awkward to do it, but let's say let's take prayer meeting setting, and uh, someone raises their hand and say, "I want prayer for so and so." I was like, "No, you. We don't need to be praying for so and so, because God wants them to go through this. Don't pray for so and so. No, can't say that. But I think sometimes if we could hear God say that, that would be the answer. Sometimes, no, don't pray for so and so. At least don't pray like that. Don't pray that God takes it away from that person. Pray that they remain faithful. Pray that." They stick to it, or, or whatever, whatever that means. Anyone else want to add something to that? Because we want to fix it. We want there's difficulty in that person's life. Let's fix it, right? We we are praying for people who are on death's door most of the time for them to get better, not to go to heaven, where they would be much better. But it's a little bit cruel to say like, "Oh, I'm not praying for you to make. I'm praying for you to get worse. I'm praying for you to pass on." You know that that it's. It, but our, in our natural mind, I think that it's our tendency. Let's fix this thing. There's a problem. Let's fix it. Sometimes, as Paul learned, right, there's a thorn in the flesh. God, take it away. No, nope, it's there for a reason. I'm not taking that away. So what do you think is the proper way to pray for someone? Let's say, for instance, a person who is sick. How, how would we pray for someone? It's God's will, right? For, for them to be sustained during that time. Take someone like Joyce tonight. Are we, do we pray that God makes her better, takes all the cancer away, and gives her another 50 years? We, we pray, do we, you know, how do you pray for someone like that? You, you should be praying for, for Joyce and for other people, but how do we pray for someone like that? Do we, do we just pray, God bless so and so? God bless Joyce. Okay. What does that mean? What, what am I, how am I trying to pray for this person? Or in my life, God, you gave me a trial, a burden. We're honest. Most of the time, we say, "God, take this away." 
But is that, is that what we're supposed to be doing? Okay. Train us to be found faithful. Okay, let's move on to the second thing here, then the second lesson here that we can pull out of this. Number two is that true greatness comes through service and submission. You see that uh, really at the end in the third temptation that Satan brings to Jesus and says there, uh, verse number nine, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He's going back to this passage in Deuteronomy 6, and, but he, and, he's, and he's remembering the words that, that Moses uh, spoke to the people there. Uh, you're going to be in a brand new land, and you're going you're, you're gonna to be in a place where you will easily be distracted from me. Who are the people that, that recognize their need for God uh, the most? Usually the poorer you get, the more you realize you need God. But the richer you are, I don't need God. My life is great right now. Why do I need God to come in and mess it up? Uh, but but, but that's, that's, the, that's what Israel was about to go into. Hey, you're about to walk into a place where you're going to have houses that you never built. You're going to have vineyards that you never planted. You're going to have fields that you, that you will harvest that you never planted. You're going to have uh, all of the things that you've never had before that you've only dreamed about. Don't forget about me. And he reminds them, I brought you from slavery. I brought you out of the house of bondage 40 years ago, and I've kept you alive and going and blessed ever since I gave you water from a rock. I gave you manna from heaven. I gave you protection. I gave you a, a guidance. I, I gave you everything. Depend on me. Wholly depend on me. But when and Jesus recognizes that that is what God's desire, the Father's desire, is that we look to him. Uh, we should not forget or forsake the primary reason for our existence, and that is to glorify God. You know, a lot of times we, we, we figure out, what's God, you know, what's God got for me? What's God want me to be when I grow up? Or what's God want me to He wants you to glorify Him. Whether you're 7 or 37, He wants you to glorify Him, to honor Him. Think about it. What was, what was, what's the, what's, what is our purpose in heaven? Glorify Him, to honor Him. What was man's purpose? Uh, before before there was sin, it wasn't to evangelize the lost. It wasn't to be a mechanic. It wasn't it wasn't even to be a gardener or a farmer. It was to fellowship with God, to bring honor and glory to God, just like all the rest of creation uh, does. And that's what our purpose is. That's our that's the reason for our existence. And every part of our existence ought to honor and praise God. There's nothing more noble or superior than that. Uh, and it should be our chief concern and our priority. And so when things come up that that potentially could distract us from that main purpose, we we need to be dis disciplined enough to say, nope, that's going to take away from this. I can't do that. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, uh, you're giving me something that I've been promised later on, but it would cause me to, you're offering that, it would cause me to, forsake or to sacrifice the true purpose that that's not that's not how it's going to work and that's what he says there that uh, worship the lord your god and him only shalt thou serve and when satan offered uh, jesus glory and a kingdom he says i'll take service think about it. satan is saying jesus i can make you king right now jesus said i'll serve the father i'll worship the father I'll put aside the opportunity to be a king so that I can be the servant. That's what Philippians tells us, right? 
He took upon himself the form of a servant. Right? Uh, it, it can, let me read some more here. Uh, Though Jesus was ordained to receive glory and promised greatness, he would not sacrifice serving and worshiping God in order to obtain it. Donald Hagner uh, calls this a theme vital in the theology of the Gospels. He wrote, The goal of obedience to the Father is accomplished not by triumphant self-assertion, not by the exercise of power and authority, but paradoxically by the way of humility, service, and suffering. Therein lies true greatness. Think about this is the message that Jesus taught his disciples through his actions and through his words. He tells us in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you, your servant. And in John 13, Jesus shows them that the greatest among them can put on an apron and bend down and wash their feet. Do the most humiliating job uh, as the leader, as the master. He says, "The greatest among you be your servant." And that's and that's what and that's what uh, Jesus is teaching here. That the, the best thing that we can do is serve God, worship God, honor Him uh, above all of the other things. The third lesson here is uh, resist through submission. Resist through submission. Jesus resisted Satan not by arguing with him, not by threatening him or denouncing him. I've heard a lot of you know people talk about how they deal with Satan and Satan, you know, comes in there, you know, they feel that they're being attacked by Satan, they, they quote some verse at him, or they uh tell, get out of here, Satan, or they, 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 they denounce him in the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't do that. And and, and Jesus didn't the, the scriptures weren't like magic spells that dispel Satan. It was the, the, what won the victory was his submission to the Father. Uh, quoting scripture does not scare Satan. Uh, since he quoted scripture and rightly he's, he quoted it, he didn't misquote miss, uh, it. He, he quoted scripture to Jesus himself. Didn't bother him. But it was the, it was the submission to the Father's will. Uh, James 4 7 there tells us that submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you get the devil to, to flee from you? By resisting. How do you resist? By submitting to God. We, we, sometimes we think, resist, I'm going to fight him. No, you can't. Uh, Jesus didn't. Jesus said, submit to the Father. Submit to the Father's bread. I'm not going to make bread. I'll submit to the Father. When the Father wants me to have bread, I'll have bread. I'm not going to jump off the, the thing. When, 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 when the Father wants me to do something, that's what I'll do. I'm not going to fall down and worship you because... I'm going, to, I'm going to submit to the Father. And so instead of uh, trying to win by attacking, he won through submitting to the Father. We resist Satan the same way. Uh, not in our own power, but by trusting God and through submission to Him. Let me, let's look at the last one. We'll look at these, and then if you want to uh, make a comment on any of these last three, then we'll uh, do that at the end of this one. Number four, let Scripture interpret Scripture. I think this is important. I have extra questions on this one here just to kind of get your mind thinking about this one. This is this important for us, especially as we read through the Scriptures. And many of us have been uh, familiarized with the Scriptures for a long, long time. And we have these verses. Every once in a while, once a week for me it seems like, I'll be, I'll be you know, working on my sermon, and one little phrase of a verse will pop in. And I'll say, oh, that, that'll work good then. And then I'll, and I've learned, you better go and read that verse just to make sure. And then I read it, and I well, that has nothing to do with what I thought it was going to But it would have worked so perfectly. I, I found a, a, a statement the other day. Uh, I, I can't remember who said it now. But it said that uh, uh, God's Word uh, has ruined many a good sermon because God didn't agree with what I wanted Him to say. 
Uh, and so it's very important that we learn to interpret the Scriptures properly, and the way to do so is by interpreting Scripture with the Scriptures. Uh, when Satan misinterpreted the Scriptures there back in the second temptation, Jesus answered him with more Scripture. Not again, not because it was a magic spell, but because he was rightly interpreting what was supposed to be uh, understood by those Scriptures. Jesus did not accept any interpretation of Scripture that contradicted Scripture in another place. And so we need to be careful, first of all, of isolating Scriptures, which means that we kind of parachute down into a verse, and without understanding anything before or behind it, uh, we just quote that one little phrase and say, all right, Jesus wept. I therefore should be weeping right now, because that is Christ-like to weep. Well, that's, you know, that's not the context. I, mean, I told you the story when I was in college. There would be guys that would uh, uh, we'd be on a bus, and there was always someone's job to sweep the bus at the end when we were all done. And so they would use that verse: "Jesus wept," uh, and then Jesus, Jesus, you, Jesus wept. Uh, you should you should sweep too. Uh, and 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 it's like, wait a minute, that's not even what it says. That's not even the right verb. But that that's uh, very much taking the Bible, uh, uh, interpreting it in the wrong way. Uh, be careful. So be careful of isolating scripture, and on top of that, be careful of what I call here one verse theology. Building a theology or a or a uh, an opinion or a a belief system based on entirely one verse. Uh, and I have a, a thing here I want to uh, do in a second here, uh, but just to kind of throw out, just because there are so many out there, but just I'll hear from you in just a second here. What is a, a verse that you've heard taken way out of context? Uh, and you can think about that for a second here. But context is key. That's why uh, in Acts 17 at the uh, the church there, it was at the Bereans, that they were they were commended in Acts because they searched the Scriptures. They heard what Paul taught. They went home and they searched them to w- see whether those things were so. And they compared Scriptures with Scripture. They didn't just say, oh yeah, that's what they, that's, that verse sounds good. I think I can I can uh, put that on a coffee cup. So that that's that's definitely how I want to live my life that that they they've they understood what is the meaning behind that um this is one benefit that uh, we get from studying an entire book from beginning to end this is one of the reasons why i like starting at the beginning at chapter one and working my way to the end and understanding an entire book as it is rather than these isolated little stories shotgunning it and going all over through the scriptures but when we and, and we're not, it's not necessarily wrong to do that but when we start from chapter one and we go to the very end we realize how those stories play into each other. And more often than not, I find that what I thought it meant is not what it meant either primarily or at all. And as I said, sometimes, this week I was I was reading through it and one little part of a verse popped into my head and I was tempted to put it down uh, and I thought, oh, that works so perfectly. Just, and I went and read the verse and I said, that is not what it's talking about. It was way, uh, it was totally in a different context and arena. And I'm very glad that I didn't do that because it has happened before that I have I have put that in there anyways, and someone comes up and says, "You know what that verse really means?" Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't, or whatever it may be. So uh, just a uh, fact finding myself. Um, what I think Scripture means is not important. What you think Scripture means matters not. What the Scripture actually means is important. And my job as a reader, as a thinker, and as a follower of Christ, to figure out what it means. And that God gave me a brain. God gave me common sense. He gave those things to you too. But it really doesn't matter if it makes sense to me. 
it matters if that's what the Word is actually saying. I know that there are some times when we read the Scriptures and we say, I wonder if it means that. It could mean that. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. And the more and more you realize, the more and more you study, you go, I don't know, I'm even more confused than I was when I started. But a lot of times, when we just when we just start looking and reading and we let the Scripture say exactly what it says, and we begin to understand and we say, you know what, God, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. If I could change it, I would. That's not what it says. So this is what it means. And it's very important that we that we uh, uh, keep that in mind. So let, let's, uh, let's talk about this for a second. What is the danger of being, before we get to the thing I told you to think about, what is the danger of being familiar with a passage of Scripture or a story? We're all very familiar with most of the stories in the Bible, right? Well, you could quote, you know, I bet 75% of them at least, right? What is the danger about reading or studying a passage that you are already pretty familiar with? Okay? You, you, you don't pay attention. What else could happen? A few things that could happen. You assume, oh, this is what it means, and you miss what else is there. There's another, there's another one, I think. There is more to learn. Have you ever, I've, I've kind of mentioned it already, but you think you know what it meant, and that's not what it meant. You were just, you were just wrong, flat out wrong. I thought this is what I thought it meant until I read it and say, that's not what it meant. There's been several times over my over my life I learned these passages and I memorized them and and, and as I said, kind of isolated them from scripture. And then someone would ask me a question uh, out, you know, witnessing, canvassing the neighborhoods or whatever, or just talking with someone. And they said, "What? Is, why do you believe this?" And I and I remember sitting in, in my living room with a couple, and they asked me uh, this this new couple to our church, and one was a brand new Christian and. And, and the other one had grown up in church, but wasn't very knowledgeable. And, and, and he said, why do you do this? Why do you believe this? And I rattled off a verse. And as I said it, I said, you know, I, I should probably just go back there and refresh myself with that. As I went back later on and did that, I realized that's not a good reason why. I remember asking someone else, and they said, I said, why do you believe this? He said, because that's what pastor teaches. Well, that might be right, but that's a horrible reason to believe something because another man told you. You need to know that the Word of God says that and where, and be able to explain that. And it's very, it's it's very shaky when we base our theology on what another person says. Um, so yeah, you could miss what's there. You could you could uh, because you're just glazing over it, or because you assume, hey, I got it all there. It'd be like if I said, hey, we're going to study David and Goliath tonight. Most of us would say, I got about ninety nine percent of what's going on in David and Goliath. And yet, when we go through and we study those things out, there's always something there. And maybe that's just me because I don't have a lot to learn. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't learned a lot. But every time I go through some of these most familiar passages to me, I'm going, how did I never see this before? And partly it's because I try to come with an open mind and say, okay, God, what do you want me to learn here? And God says, let me show you how dumb you really are. Let me show you how smart I really am. And just these little tiny uh, little tiny, he's very gracious in how, how little he dumps on me at a time in that way. Uh, how about this question? What is an example? This is what I want you to think of. What is an example that you have heard that has been grossly or maybe slightly misinterpreted? You don't have to give names and rat anybody out, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying if you maybe heard it on the radio, maybe you read it in a book, maybe you heard uh, from me, I don't know, but uh, you, you heard someone say, you said that is totally, maybe later on I I looked at it and I said that, that was, that was, Missed it. Can you think of an example like that? Vicky, she's like, oh, I've been waiting last Sunday morning. You, oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, good one. Yeah, I remember asking my 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 dad, my pastor, that one time, like, "Who are the other sheep? You know, what do you think that meant?" And and uh, and I've heard people likewise say that. Yeah, oh, that's that's the other religions that are out. Anyone else? What what Jim? What's another one? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we we come at it with 21st century understanding to try to interpret what happened thousands of years. What's another? What's another? These are good. I have written a few in case you're. Yeah, Romans eight twenty eight, God, and right there, and we miss. I wrote that one down. Romans eight twenty eight, all things work. To, why? Because we run out of room on our coffee cup, and that's really the best part of that verse, right? <laughs> Everything works out for good, right? But have you ever been a part of a situation that did not turn out for good, in your opinion? Yeah, but it's it's according to His purpose. It's uh, it's the, the the for those who are called. It's for the it's it's the rest of the chapter. There's a lot more to be said there. But we, we missed that. Uh, does anyone have another one that's burning right now? Yeah. Versions on submission. Oh, yeah. Did you ever, you ever hit submission here much? Or? Yeah? Yeah, I, I have been in places. I fortunately have not been to a, a, a heard a message there, but I have, I have heard, uh, third hand how, uh, well, preachers will take submission to another level and say, wives, you not only submit to your own husband, you submit to every husband. And so then every woman, Needs to do what any man tells her to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> try try that one. <laughs> You're only saying that because your wife let you say that up there. You know that's that's not even. How could you? You know. But people people take that. Hey, here's here's one. Uh, uh, Luke eleven nine. When Jesus says, "Ask it shall be given. You seek and you shall find. Knocking the door shall be opened to you." We take that right there and say, "All I got to do is keep pestering God, and He will give me what I want." That's not what it means. Uh, what about Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ. I can throw the game-winning touchdown. I can make the game-winning shot. I can do whatever I want. Okay, guys, try to have a baby. I can do all things through Christ. You know, you can't do it. Jump off the Empire State Building and try to fly. Do it through Christ, and apparently it'll work. What is that? You know, we miss those things. Uh, and, 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 and it's important that we get the full context of what the, what the scriptures are trying to teach us because sometimes we can, it, what it does is we get, we get, uh, this courage that is faulty, is built on faulty logic, and we charge ahead and we fall flat on our face and we say, why didn't it work? And we, we doubt God and we, we, we're hesitant to follow him again because we think in the back of our mind, well, last time I tried, it didn't work. God's just sitting there shaking his hands. Well, you, you didn't do what I told you. you. You forgot to read the rest. And it's not like we, we only have that much to read. We have the whole thing if we would only take the time to step back and say, hmm, what's this actually mean? Um, you know, down south, there's the, uh, the snake handling churches and stuff like that. You know, because... Uh, Jesus said, "You'll pick up serpents and you'll be, you won't be harmed." And, uh, but He also said there that you'll drink deadly poison and it won't kill you. Nobody tries that one. You can. And it didn't work, did it? And it didn't work. But you know, there, there's there's things that we and what we tend to do is we tend to take the things that we like and say, "I will hold on to that." And the things that we don't like, we say, eh. and we treat the Bible more like a buffet instead of rather than. Uh, every word, as, as Jesus said there. Uh, anyone? Last one. Last uh, chance for a burning. Uh, uh, stand at the door and knock. 
Yeah, and, and it sounds really good, but it's not always what we think it is. You know? uh, it's, it's very important that we learn to interpret the Scriptures as the Scriptures are meant to be interpreted. And it's very important that when the Scripture... Did I write it down here? I didn't. When the Scriptures are silent or vague, that we do not take a <clears throat> stance on this, on things that we cannot... That, that God wasn't that strong on. And the things that God is on, we need to be firm on. And when the scriptures are silent, we should do likewise. And when the scriptures are vague, maybe that's not what God really wanted us to pay attention to and really harp on. And when the scriptures are, Alistair Begg says, make the main things the main things and the plain things. I make the main thing the plain thing and the plain thing the main thing. And we, if we focus on those things, we would do a lot more. Uh, then uh, we get a lot further than uh, than if we focus on these other things. Let's look at the next question here. What do we do, should we do, when Scripture seems to contradict itself? Have you ever come across a verse that uh, seemed, uh, underline, emphasize, bold, and highlight, seemed to contradict itself? You ever read a verse and said, wait a minute, that's contrary to what it says over here. What do we do there? Right, okay, so what do we do there when we see Eye for an eye in the Old Testament and turn the other cheek in the New Testament. What do, what do we do? Uh, I'll choose. Study it out. Yeah, there, there's a reason that it's there, right? Uh, what is it? Proverbs says, answer not a fool. And then the very next verse is answer a fool. What am I supposed to do? Answer not or answer? Uh, the, the, the answer here is I'm supposed to study it out some more. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong. Right? Just because I don't get it doesn't mean that it's not able to be gotten. Um, how about the last one here? What should we do? Here's where I already stole my thunder. So here's a softball question. What should we do when Scripture is vague and silent? <laughs> yeah, be vague and silent. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to be hard on that. Because there's, there's obviously, there's a reason God did God didn't make it. Um, uh, I won't tell you who, but someone asked me, they were reading ahead, and they said, uh, are you going to preach on fasting? Let me get to this, this passage here. No, because that's not what the point of it was. But if we don't understand, if we if we don't understand uh, what how to read in context, then we, we start saying, well, you know what? We should be fasting forty days and forty nights. And afterwards, if you're not hungry, you're not right with God. Because Jesus was hungry after he fasted forty days and forty nights. You know, we, we can go a long ways with those things. Um, there are verses on fasting, and I think fasting is, is is a biblical thing to do, and it's a it's a very hard thing to do. But uh, you know some of the things like that that are not as as uh, step by step laid out for us. We would do well to not take such a hard stance on those things and say, you know what? If you okay, if you disagree with me on the virgin birth, that's a hard stance. That's the thing I'm going to say. Well, you know, you're wrong. So, um, if you disagree with me that Jesus had red hair because every picture that I see nowadays is has red hair, and you say, I believe he had red hair. Not a hill, hill worth dying on, right? It's not a battle I need to fight. If you disagree with me on an interpretation of a, of, a, of a passage that is kind of vague out there, and for centuries people have argued over it, you know what? It's not a big deal. You know, last, last week there was a discussion on a question, and, and there were obviously two different sides on it. And I've had conversations this week about that. And they're not deal breakers. But there are, there are things that are deal breakers and there are other things that are saying, you know, let's, 
not there. And there's a reason God was silent. Let's pray and we will, we will be dismissed.